Welcome to CryptoCast by Gunnar Cook, the leading industry podcast that brings together expert guests to discuss hot topics and useful advice for blockchain and crypto asset businesses. I am James Burney, and thank you for joining me today. Hello and welcome to another episode of CryptoCast. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Adam Biali, who's at Fiat Republic, which is a Fiat as a service provider. Hi, Adam. It's great to have you on. Hi there. Great, great to be uh, with you. So just to tell you, sort of taking a step back and setting the scene, can you give something in terms of, you know, what, what do we mean when we talk about Fiat as a service provider and what do Fiat as a service providers actually do? So Fiat as a service, uh, we came up with the term. Um, it is basically providing uh, a gateway into the world of fiat for crypto um, companies or crypto businesses. Um, it is um, engaging in processing fiat transactions or transactions in fiat currency, right? So the traditional currency. So in many ways, it is TrapFi <laughs> as a service, right? Uh, just for crypto. Uh, and we're speaking the language of the crypto industry by saying it's fiat, fiat currency. Um, so uh, so that's, that's uh, what is fiat as a service, Fiat Republic. Uh, is a fiat as a service provider. So we're basically a regulated, a TrotFi regulated bridge into banking uh, for the crypto economy, for the crypto industry. And it's interesting you talk about banking here because, of course, in the, in the traditional world, you know, people just go, if I want a bank account, I go to a bank. Can you give us a sort of bit of background as, as to why there is a need for an intermediary between crypto firms and banks? And why do banks find it difficult to deal with crypto firms? Yeah, absolutely. So um, this is a very old story, right? It, it started when Satoshi Nakamoto published uh, his uh, original uh, paper about the peer-to-peer network in 2009. Um, it, it was the, the narrative from the crypto industry started off um, on the wrong foot, right? It was, we're going to take over, we're going to build a single currency to rule them all. We're going to take over the business from the banks. Uh, you know, we don't need regulation, we don't need governments, we don't need authorities. Um, and that didn't necessarily rub the banks, you know, the right way. It was sort of, um, you know, uh, it was making the banks think that, oh, so this is a, a threat. This is a competitive business model that is emerging. And that that's how it used to be back in the day. It's, it is less so right now. It's less confrontational from, you know, um, from from the uh, the crypto side. But still, as a result of, of that initial narrative, and then as a result of some common misconceptions about crypto and what it's used for, banks are just afraid of crypto, especially the big banks. They're afraid, and it's a very specific type of fear. It's the fear of the unknown. I don't, I'm afraid of something that I just don't understand. They don't have the, uh, the knowledge. They don't have the expertise. Um, to to really dig deep into what actual you know crypto flows or crypto related uh, transactions um, are about. What is you know what is the dominant use case of uh, a crypto investor, a crypto user? Um, they don't have that knowledge. Uh, you know, many people tell me the ones that are you know dealing with tier one banks or trying to convince them, and you know certainly you know that's the kind of uh, narrative or, or the feedback that I've been getting myself um, is is that um, you know uh, the compliance teams. When they look at a crypto platform uh, to onboard, don't even know what questions to ask. 
So that is the kind of baseline that we're, you know, we're starting uh, from, and that is not great. Um, you know, every now and then you will have a very prominent figure in banking uh, uh, saying that Bitcoin is a Ponzi scheme, right? Or it's a scam or it's a fraud. Uh, that doesn't help the overall case of, uh, you know, uh, of, of bridging crypto into banking, right? Um, the, 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 the sad story here is that um, the crypto industry, even though uh, it's, it's, um, you know, it's growing rapidly, it's, it's getting more mainstream adoption by the day, right? Despite all of the, you know, negative press and, 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 and the events that sadly, you know, uh, shook, shook it up a little bit in the last couple of uh, weeks or months, actually. Um, it's still growing. It, it is gaining, uh, you know, mainstream ad ad adoption um, and it's not going anywhere. It's, it's here to stay, right? Uh, and despite all of that, businesses that engage in crypto related activities struggle to get the kind of access to banking that a Netflix or an Airbnb or a booking.com would get like in two minutes, right? Uh, they, they often spend, uh, you know, uh, months, if not years, trying to convince tier two, tier three, tier four banks that, you know, um, outside of crypto, uh, you and me, we haven't heard of them, right? <laughs> or wouldn't have heard of them. Um, uh, to convince them to onboard them, you know, begging them, you know, uh, for, for, for banking services. So that is where we are. And, um, and, and, and the reason for that is uh, lack of knowledge, lack of education on the banking, banking side, uh, a perceived threat from the crypto industry, um, and, uh, and the willingness to, to go alone, to, to you know, to uh, the do it yourself approach that, that many tier one banks are, are taking. They don't want to partner. They don't want to give up, you know, if, if they're about to take a high risk on something that they don't nothing about, they would rather do it. Them, they would rather do it themselves. Uh, so you sort of talk about the interplay between the two sides in terms of kind of what fiat republic therefore do. Does it act then between the two sides? Is, is it sort of, you know, does it act between the two? So it affects sort of bank on people's behalf, or is it? How does that kind of work? Just for people who are looking at this and trying to piece all the puzzle together. No, absolutely. Yeah, of course. So what we're doing is we 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 banks are suppliers to us right so we sit in between banks and uh, crypto companies crypto companies when we engage typically with cfi right so centralized um crypto uh why because that is the sort of mature the regulated the one the the, the side of the crypto industry that wants to play by the book or, or you know play by the rules um we are um uh, bridging the gap uh, so we're making the crypto industry or the crypto Reddit flows a bit more compliant, uh, a bit safer uh, uh, through providing additional data and information on individual uh, crypto related transactions to the banks. Right. And we still need to procure the services. That, that's the funny bit here. We still need to procure the services from our banks. You know, the, the, the way when I say I've got a bank partner, that means I'm paying a supplier, right? It just so happens that those suppliers are unwilling to provide the service, right? So they need to be convinced. Banks need to be convinced uh, to take on to take on crypto flows. And so what we do is we we make it uh, safer for banks to engage with crypto by providing this additional transparency and the additional data about individual crypto uh, transactions to the banks for risk management uh, purposes, for transaction screening purposes, right? To make it, and also for educational purposes, to kind of help the banks understand what is actually going on 
you know, when you go to uh, Coinbase or, or Kraken to buy Bitcoin, you know, what do you do with your Bitcoin after you have bought it, right? And after it lands on the wallet, what, what do you do? The banks lose sight of that transaction. Your bank loses sight of that transaction the moment you send a payment to another bank to top up your Coinbase account, right? And then if you think of, um, I don't know, Coinbase's bank, right? So when you as a consumer send money to Coinbase, Coinbase's bank doesn't know anything about you. Because it's very unlikely that Coinbase's bank is your bank, is the kind of tier one, uh, uh, you know, high street bank that you are engaged with. It's very unlikely. This is like maybe, you know, less than 1% chance. So typically Coinbase's bank or Kraken's bank is going to be the bank that just sees your name coming through faster payments. So they don't know you. They're, you know, very often they're going to ask a question. Who are you? You know, uh, where is your money coming from, right? Uh, uh, why 20,000 pounds on this bank account? You know, why are you sending me 20,000 pounds? What are you going to try and do with this, right? Where is it going? And then when they do that, they stop the transaction, right? So the on-ramp is basically paused until they find that information. So what, you know, in short, what we do is we make sure that this information is preloaded for the bank to see. And then when we ask the bank to accept this transaction on their behalf, because that's, you know, that's, that's why we're in the middle. That's why we're sort of on top of that bridge. Uh, um, we have a file ready to go to send to the bank and say, hey, we know this customer. We know this platform. Okay. Um, we have some, some rudiment, you know, uh, some, some basic data set that we can share with you. And we are regulated. So we're taking the risk here. Right. Um, so that's how our value prop works from the bank's perspective. Right. It is a tricky one because, in essence, it's still a supplier relationship. Right. So we're paying for this. But uh, but but right now there's no access. You know, th th there's a cut in, in terms of the banks wanting to do this. They don't want to do this because they don't know what they're dealing with. We are just making more it more sort of uh, uh, acceptable and, and, you know, increasing their tolerance for taking that risk by providing additional information, by making it known or more known than it would have been otherwise, right? Uh, on the crypto side, so that was the sort of the banking supplier side. On the crypto side, that, those are our customers. So what they need or th what they want is a single access point, a single integration and a single compliance onboarding and the compliance process to access multiple banking rails, right? In different currencies. So not to, not to onboard with seven different banks, seven times, uh, you know, uh, across seven years, uh, right? But do it once, I don't know, for a couple of months with Fiat Republic, and then let us take care of all of those relationships behind the scenes, right? So we're, you know, we're very much acting to the, towards the crypto platforms like a bank, like a transactional bank. We engage in cash management, is what I say very often, uh, right? On behalf of 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 you know crypto platforms, but our you know behind ourselves, there's like seven or eight banks that were actually providing those services of the back of. That, that's very interesting, uh, and great explanation to how it all fits together. Um. Just sort of taking what's a more philosophical question for a moment. We know one of the big things in crypto is the idea of people being in control of their own assets. And part of the, the weaknesses people always see is if, if you're reliant on the bank, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, given the philosophical starting point of some of crypto, yeah. 
Yeah. Do you think crypto companies will always be effective reliant on banking, or do you think using things like stable coins and alternatives, do you think the crypto will start to create its own thing without the banking community being part of the crypto ecosystem? So my opinion is for another 20 years or so, uh, fiat currency, so traditional currencies, are going to be the only access point into crypto. Right. This is the entry point. This is this is how you buy Bitcoin. Right. You know, until such point when we stop denominating or valuing Bitcoin in fiat, fiat is going to be needed to get access to crypto. Right. And as for as long as fiat is going to be needed to access crypto, we're going to need banks uh, to process those transactions, like traditional banks, traditional financial institutions to 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 you know act almost like hubs you know, ports of entry and then ports of exit actually as well, right? Because, you know, the, the exit bit is the off-ramp, right? So why would you hold Bitcoin forever, right? What can you do with Bitcoin right now? Not much. You can't pay your bills. You can't, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, buy goods uh, or like the mainstream goods uh, on, on the high street with Bitcoin, right? It, we're not there yet. So um, until such point where this sort of, last leg because we typically talk about you know a crypto a transaction journey we split it into three legs right first leg is the on-ramp so your gbp or your euro into bitcoin or into ethereum right then second leg is ethereum or bitcoin on chain so you're doing something with this typically moving it from one wallet to another or maybe moving it to cold storage because you know you want it to be safe um so you're doing something on the blockchain itself right on chain right and then the third leg is you're uh, converting uh, uh crypto back into fiat back into gbp back into euro because you're you're consuming uh, the money that you made or, you know, that you saved or or perhaps, uh, you know, uh, someone transferred to you, right? So there's always this third leg. So until such point that this third leg falls away and you're able to do more with your Bitcoin, more of your Ethereum, more of your Polygon, more with your, you know, any other token, um, the banks will be needed, right? And 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 the, the traditional financial institutions processing, uh, uh, you know, transactions related to traditional currencies, are going to be necessary to access the space. Um, so I, you know, I, I would definitely start seeing that um, uh, start seeing that changing uh, once uh, stable coins, uh, you know, uh, gain more adoption. Uh, but right now, we would need we would need the stable coins to be used for something, like to be accepted as a, as a ten, as a legal tender, as a method of payment, right? in more locations because that that is kind of easier to relate to because it's you know it's one to one to normal currency right so this this uh, dilemma of like you know how do you denominate bitcoin how do you value bitcoin is no longer there you, you just got one to one right it's, it's just your dollar just in the on the blockchain right um or euro just on the blockchain um so um so i would see uh, stablecoins as helping i actually have a very extreme view that stable coins, some of the networks at least, uh, like Circle and uh, you know um, uh, USDC token in particular, that uh, you know technology alone could replace SWIFT today, if we had willing counterparties on both sides of the of the transaction, willing to kind of go through that protocol and and you know and and trusting the the, the protocol. Because what is really important in any kind of uh, financial transaction and and a payment transaction is that both sides of the transaction are are comfortable 
with uh, you know the the exchange of value that is happening, right? So um, so so yeah, I actually think that stablecoin, you know, uh, the, the one that is the most regulated, the most reputable, uh, and the one that survived all of those different different downturns and you know uh, um, uh, shakeups uh, could replace Swift like just straight away today if if we had the you know the backing of of the banking community. Thank you, that's been really interesting. I'm afraid that's all we've got time for today. If anyone listening would like to reach out to Adam, his email address is adam at fiatrepublic.com. Thank you, Adam, for coming on. It's been absolutely fascinating. Thank you for listening to CryptoCast by Gunnercook. Gunnercook is a market-leading law firm advising on blockchain, Web3, crypto assets and DeFi. Our members have been heavily involved in helping to shape the legal and regulatory framework for blockchain and crypto assets. Our team works across multiple jurisdictions, including Germany and the US. We are the only UK law firm to officially accept payments in crypto. Our client base is more than 150. Before we go, if you enjoyed the episode, Please leave a review on your podcast service and make sure you're following Gunner Cook on social media and sign up to our Cook's Cost list on the Gunner Cook website. Thank you for listening.